0: Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self care solutions, who seek expert advice and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author and educator, a TV interviewer, host and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air, and our episode for June is on musical health technology, National Brain Health and Alzheimer's Awareness Month, also, World Music Day. We're also celebrating Father's Day, where we'll be talking a little bit about the actor Bruce Willis, and National Day of Joy. I'm Sherry Snelling, your host, and I'm really thrilled to have our guests on today. We're going to kick it off with two people I, I absolutely adore, Rachel Francine and Andy Tubman, who are the co-founders of World or uh, Musical Health Technologies. That's the name of the company, and the product they have is called SingFit. And it's perfect for our World Music Day, which is happening on june twenty first and also our national Brain Health and Alzheimer's Awareness Month, because SingFit really addresses how our brains respond to music as a therapy. And those are for older adults and even people who have dementia and Alzheimer's. You're going to really, I think, find a lot of interesting, fascinating facts that they're going to share with us today. And then my second guest on the episode today, I'm really thrilled to have her. It's Sadia Gajadar, and she is the Chief Happiness Officer of Comfort Keepers. And Sadia is here to tell us about a recent survey they did with older adults that is focused on June 28th, which is their National Day of Joy. So this is going to be a really uplifting, I think, happy episode for everybody to get some interesting facts from. And then in our caregiver wellness news, as I mentioned, I'm going to talk a little bit about Father's Day and of course the actor Bruce Willis and how he has frontotemporal dementia. We're going to give you some updates there and talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about tips on caring for our dads as they get older in pop culture, I'm going to share with you our music playlist because of World Music Day. And also, it's a uh, World Beatles Day on June 25th, an international surf music month. So I'm going to do a little Beach Boys list for you as well. And then in our welcome design, I'm going to do a little twist because it's also in June, National Employee Self-Care Month. And so we're going to focus a little bit on our work environments and whether we're going back to work in a workspace or an office or whether we have our home offices, I'm going to give you some tips on how to maximize those environments for your best mental, emotional, and physical health. And of course, we're going to end with our Me Time Monday wellness hack, and that is going to be on how music enhances brain health. So with that, let's dive into our caregiver wellness news. So in caregiver wellness news, I want to kick it off with June, which is National Alzheimer's Awareness and Brain Health Awareness Month. And we just had a recent report that came out from the Alzheimer's Association on their facts and figures. There has been a slight increase. We now know that 6.7 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease right now. Now, Alzheimer's, of course, is the largest type of dementia, dementia being the category of neurodegenerative diseases. So similar to cancer as a category, and then you have blood cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, that's the same thing with dementia. Alzheimer's, of course, is the number one, 70% of all dementia is Alzheimer's disease. What we're going to talk about, though, a little bit later is another type of dementia, frontotemporal dementia, which is Bruce Willis, the actor, has recently been diagnosed with. So I wanted to just bring up some really important things that it's always good to remind ourselves and our loved ones about, and that is, you know, how do we reduce our risk of Alzheimer's? We don't really have any cures for the disease right now. We do have some drug therapies. They're mostly effective, however, in the early stages of the disease, and we don't Absolutely know that if we do this, then we absolutely won't get Alzheimer's disease. But we do know that in the same way that we have things that keep our hearts healthy and can ward off heart attacks and strokes, same kind of input in terms of our own wellness and self-care practices come into play with Alzheimer's. So what makes our heart healthy makes our brain healthy. And a couple of things I wanted to point out. So there was the Lancet Commission, which came out with a report a few years ago that said 40% of all Alzheimer's cases could be reduced because of lifestyle factors. Now, that those are the things within our control. And it's everything from smoking to hearing loss and making sure we're managing that living in environments that don't have a lot of air pollution, but also the things like diet, like exercise and moving more, not feeling depressed over a long period of time. So all of these things are a little bit more within our control. And the one I want to really highlight is the high blood pressure. So there was a study called the SPRINT study that a lot of different organizations in Alzheimer's were part of. Alzheimer's Association was a big part of that. And what it showed us is that when we go in for a blood pressure reading, it's supposed to be 120 over 80. 120 is what we call the systolic number. That's the number on top. And we want that number to stay at 120. So if you're getting into the 130s, the 140s, or even above, those are hypertension you know, risk factors and over 140 actually is hypertension and you want to be really careful about that. And here's why. The more pressure that we're putting on the arteries to push that blood through our blood vessels, what's happening is we have 400 miles of blood vessels in our brains. And so when there's more pressure on those blood vessels, there's the potential for there to be little tiny, you know, leaks or tears or potholes, if you will, along that highway And then the toxins and the debris that normally are getting cleared out of our brains when we're asleep at night are permeating what we call the blood-brain barrier. And we know that there is the potential that some of those toxin and debris could be linked to things like beta amyloid plaque. Which is one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. We also know that, you know, when we have high blood pressure, we have more inflammation within our system. This again is causing, you know, wreaking more havoc in terms of how our bodies are building up immunity but also dealing with things like chronic disease. So it just becomes really, really important out of all the things that you could do. and there's there's certainly a lot, you know, as I said, good sleep, don't smoke. All of those things are really good, healthy lifestyle factors, but the blood pressure is really number one. If you can control anything, control that. So I wanted to just share that with you because I thought it was really important. There's also some really good information that's going to come out in my new book, which is coming up in August for National Wellness Month. So just right around the corner here, and it's called Me Time Monday. The Weekly Wellness Plan to Find Balance and Joy for a Busy Life, I think is something we can all relate to. But I do a lot, I have done a lot of research for the book. And a couple of things I wanted to share with you is this kind of new movement, this new trend in what we call green exercise. Really what it means is being outside whether it's you know at the beach or by a lakeside or you know in the forest or in a park area or your garden or your backyard or whatever being outside when we exercise actually has double benefits if you will both for our brain health and our body health there was a 2023 study that was done in nature that found that a 15 minute walk outside in place that might have a lot of trees or a lot of greenery maybe it's a leaf canopied arbor area or something actually improves our cognitive test scores and calms our brains, calms us from that anxiety, even more so than if we were walking on a treadmill in a gym or in a home gym in your garage or wherever. So, you know, this being outside nature connection is really, really critical. A couple other things I wanted to share. We know that we can decrease Alzheimer's disease in older adults. Again, by being outside and just taking in beautiful nature views, that was a study that was actually done with adults over the age of 60. And then the other study, which I thought was really great for all of you pet owners out there, particularly those who own a dog, and uh, we know we get some good physical benefits out of walking our dogs, but you know, dogs can get dementia too. So there was a research study that was done that shows between 14 to 35% of older dogs can develop dementia and it's because they're inactive, they're sedentary. So you know, if we're getting our dogs out there two or three times a day, not only is it helping our health, it's helping our dog's health. So something to think about. The other thing I wanted to, to jump into here in Caregiver Wellness News before we get to our wonderful interviews that are going to be on the episode today. You know, we know that Father's Day is right around the corner here in June. And you know, there was news that I I actually touched upon last season in our June episode on the actor, Bruce Willis, who at that time we thought he had aphasia, which is kind of a a language disorder. And it's where you start to mix up words or syllables or vowels and consonants. And that is not dementia. That is actually a different type of disease. However, What we've learned since last year is that he does have a type of dementia. He has been diagnosed now with frontotemporal dementia, which impacts the brain and and sometimes can be linked to brain trauma. So traumatic brain injuries, concussions, and obviously we know with, you know, so many of our kids and particularly our sons playing sports, we have to be really careful about that because later on down the road there could be that potential for developing something like this frontotemporal dimension. What's interesting about this is I actually, for my first book, which was 10 years ago, which I still can't believe it's been that long, but it was called The Cast of Caregivers, Celebrity Stories to Help You Prepare to Care. And one of those celebrities that I interviewed was Sylvia Mackey, who is the wife of the late John Mackey, who played in the NFL. He was a super Hall of Famer and played for the Baltimore Colts for most of his career, he also was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia. And what it does is it really affects your executive functioning. And these are different areas of the brain, but we know that Things like personality, social behavior in particular, language, decision-making, those are all going to be affected by this frontotemporal dementia, which is about 10 to 20% of all the dementia cases I, I was mentioning earlier. So dementia is the category, Alzheimer's is about 70% of all cases frontotemporal dementia can can be 10 to 20%. So it's a, it's a you know, it's a fairly good sized number. In fact, 60,000 Americans are diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia every year. So just some good information. I'm going to have an article that will be linked from the episode guide page that you can read a little bit more about Bruce Willis and his family and the challenges that they're facing, but also some tips on Father's Day of how we can take care of our dads. You know, we know that our moms and dads are a little bit different. What's really great, I think, to understand is that dads are very open to talking about long-term care and what the plans are. And um, that kind of helps facilitate those family conversations, which we know can be tough. So I'm going to have some other tips and things uh, about Father's Day that I'll share with you on the episode guide page. But for pop culture, I also wanted to mention, of course, World Music Day is June 21st. I think I also mentioned the opening. World Beatles Day is June 25th, and it's also June International Surf Music Month. So I thought, what a better time to come together with a playlist for you. I've chosen some of my favorite Beatles tunes, some of my favorite Beach Boys tunes, and I threw in a little Beethoven, because you're going to learn in the Meantime Monday wellness hack that classical music actually can aid in our sleep. So it's a good sleep science tool. So I'm gonna share all of those with you. Maybe we'll even try to make a Spotify playlist for you and we'll have the links on the episode guide for you to take a look at. But because it's World Music Day and also National Alzheimer's and Brain Health Month, I couldn't think of two better people to have on the episode today than Rachel Francine and Andy Tubman, who are the co-founders of SingFit. And they are here to tell us so much more about brain health and music and what are the things that we should think about at any stage of life, but also the really great work that they're doing with older adults. And they've done a lot in the community with Alzheimer's and dementia. And in fact, They were just on a BBC Storyworks program, and some of it was filmed, I think, in England. They're doing some things over in England and Scotland in particular around dementia and music. And so with no further ado, here is Rachel Francine and Andy Tubman of SingFit. So I am really, really thrilled to have our special guests on today, Rachel Francine and Andy Tubman of SingFit. And, you know, guys, I was thinking I've known you for quite a while now. We've we've been around in the same circles. And I, I wanted to remind myself, I think we met way back when I was working at Keck Medicine of USC and you had some activities with the USC Center for Body Computing. Isn't that right? Wasn't it that long ago that we, we ran into each other?
1: It was. We we met at the USC Keck School of Medicine Body Computing Prize Pitch Competition. That's right. And you won. We did. <laughs> we ended up winning that. And
0: I think that was one of many, many things that you guys won in terms of competitions and all of that. But I just wanted to welcome you to Caregiving Club on Air. <laughs> Thank you very
1: much.
2: Thank you. Nice to talk to you.
0: And it's great to have you guys here. This is so exciting because what you're doing is so... I think, really innovative, and I think our audience is really, really going to be, you know, really engaged in what you've got going on. So I want to start with just the basics. Tell us about what SyncFit is, how it works, and especially, I know you've been focused a lot on adults in who have dementia and Alzheimer's. Tell us how SyncFit improves their lives. So if you can put all that into one answer, that'd be great. <laughs>
1: Essentially what we do is, well, so my background is technology. I've been working in interactive technology since 96, always with how do you take something brick and mortar and digitize it and scale it. And Andy's background is as a music therapist. And the challenge is, is that there's only 10,000 music therapists in the country, as opposed to like 120,000 occupational therapists or speech therapists. So what we're trying to do is is get the different uses for therapeutic music out there to a larger constituency of people. Mm -hmm. And so specifically what we've done is we've digitized an evidence-based music practice called lyric coaching. And what that does and what that means is that the words of a song are prompted to somebody verbally through our technology so that they can have a fluid singing experience. So whether somebody has dementia or Parkinson's or even children on the autism spectrum, this is a process that music therapists have been using for years in order to get people singing because as Andy will go into, there's a lot of benefits to get people singing. And so as a solution, what we did was we digitized that by first putting it in an app and enabling other kinds of paid and unpaid healthcare practitioners and caregivers to use it with the people that they're caring for. So, for example, our group process using singing as a therapeutic tool is in 500 long-term care communities across the country where it's facilitated in a group, and we get people singing that way. We also have a new solution, a couple new solutions coming out where it's now going to be able to be used one-on-one as well as so somebody who's caring for a parent with dementia or a speech therapist or an occupational therapist working with somebody with Parkinson's or a speech issue would be able to use it one-on-one. And we also have a, a video version coming out. The overall goal is let's get people singing. And what I'll let Andy do is talk about how what we really like to do is say, OK, the, why are we getting people singing? What is the goal for certain kinds of conditions and constituencies? So, Andy, if you want to take over and talk about the benefits of, of singing overall and maybe, you know, specifically for cognitive decline and dementia, that'd be great
2: yeah so it has to do with intention understanding what's the intention around the singing and so if you think about a singing process in general and trying to incorporate it into one's life like a yoga practice like rachel would say like a daily practice of singing what the research has shown in general and this is growing and continuing to grow is that it engages the brain globally, language centers, timing centers, motor centers, planning centers, subcortical, topical, short term, long term, right? The whole thing is rocking when you are singing. And when you are singing to a song, you are being organized in time. So you have this level of organization in time, you have this engagement of the, the brain globally, and you have this also engagement in the respiratory system. Then, about obviously expands out into the sympathetic and the parasympathetic systems and like it just it engages the body and the brain and so to be able to enable this right on a regular basis for people who have visual impairments or who can't read or most typically who when they're reading are reminded that they're challenged, right? That they're having these challenges, right? That just serves to reduce the engagement in the singing and the musical process and the joy of things. So we've taken out that word that reading process, that academic process, put it into an oral process, a word cueing system, like Rachel said, and we engage people on a regular basis to get them really rocking. And then once you get them rocking on a regular basis, you can point it at a variety of health conditions. And even within dementia, you can point it at a variety of different goals, right? Whether that be increased socialization, whether that be you singing as a coping strategy for agitation, right? So there's a variety even within dementia of specific goals that you would be using it for.
0: So really what you're saying, if I understand correctly, Andy, is that when you make music, not just listen, but when you're singing along and you're making music, this is a full brain workout for anybody. And particularly, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but for people who have dementia or Alzheimer's, isn't music memory one of the kind of the last things we hold on to? I remember watching that documentary Alive Inside years ago, and it was phenomenal to watch people who were almost kind of catatonic, and didn't really come out of their shells and then they would hear a piece of music maybe from their youth and all of a sudden start singing along so tell me a little bit more about that because i find that just like almost a miracle kind of stuff
2: yes so the thing is is to differentiate a little bit and and it actually like you said but you know what we saw in that movie was that people did start singing along right the listening was the excitement part and Then the singing was very interesting in that film. But in general, if you can get the people engaged in making the music, producing the sound, right, this starts going globally in the brain when you're making the music. And so singing is the goal. But in general, when you can express a song, right, that doesn't mean... To the highest level of singing full lyrics but when you you're tapping you know the song you're engaged right movement to the song singing the song this reflects a deep neuro imprint in the brain that has been developed for years and years and years and years and years years. so when the state of dementia the disease kicks in or there's a lesion and the brain shrinkage and there's all these different challenges neurologically speaking The rest of the brain is still recognizing this song, right? And so the rest of the brain is fighting to either do what it can around that, you know, or reroute the functionality, right? And reroute the understanding of what's happening. So there's all these other parts of the brain that are working that are still that have all the mitochondria and all the excitement and all these different uh, electroactivity, all these things that are kicking in and exercising right? And so that's why when you work with stroke patients, you can utilize different kinds of singing protocols and melodic intonation therapies and all these different clinical processes to take someone from nonverbal to verbal because you're rerouting this functionality. And if you get people singing enough, you can start to get some of that depending on the intensive, the level of intensity of the therapies and how often they're singing and this kind of thing and the intention and the the goals behind it, right, if there's music therapists or speech therapists involved. But I'm just saying that that is kind of the concept, that you're really working that whole brain and that neural network, that imprint is really kicking in when someone recognizes that song and starts to engage in it.
0: It's just a miracle to watch. And you guys do this every day. You know, Rachel, one of the things is I know you've done quite a bit of work in memory care and certainly with assisted living and other senior living communities. But you've also made this available to families in the home. So for a family caregiver who may have someone, as Andy said, maybe with a stroke or some kind of neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, this can still work. And what I love is Because the caregiver gets involved, they're getting a brain health workout too. So, tell me a little bit about how it works if you're in the home. What what would be the tools that they would need to do this?
1: So, we have a a solution called a SyncFit Studio and another one called SyncFit TV. So, I'll break them apart a little bit. And so, what SyncFit Studio does is this can be used both what I call a love economy caregiver. So, this is all the work that all of us who've ever taken care of somebody do for free out of love. And then there's the paid professionals. And for unpaid caregivers and the professionals, the app Syncfit Studio works very similarly, which is we have this brand new version that will be out in you know by June. And essentially what it does now is you're able to go in and say, who am I? Am I a speech therapist? Am I a love economy caregiver? Am I a, a neurologist? And then you're able to identify what the condition of the person that you're working with has. So that might be mild cognitive impairment or it may be mid-stage dementia. And then from there, it'll ask you, what are your goals with that person? And so some of those would be overarching goals. And Sherry, some of this you're hearing for the first time because, you know, we no. <laughs> get a lot of the way. So this is like the big reveal to you as well, um, because we are incredibly excited about this, because this is really the first time anything like this has been done with singing as a therapeutic tool before. So it'll ask you what your overall goals are. But then every day it will ask you, what is your goal for the day? Because as somebody who has cared for somebody with dementia, but then also cared for somebody who had everything else, diabetes and liver problems and everything else, you know that things change from day to day. And so that, you know, in one day it might be, look, I need to reduce agitation, right? I just need to do that. And what the app will do is when you go into it, It will, first of all, utilize one of the things that Andy alluded to when he was talking about the the neurological imprint is we know certain things with dementia specifically. For example, what you were talking about, how that music stays with you and it's almost like a miracle. Part of this is something called the reminiscence bump. And that means that the music that you listen to between 13 and 24, that music is going to stay with you longer than other music. So right away, just by asking somebody's age, we can get a sense of the era of the music that is going to resonate with them the most. But the new app, and this is very exciting about it, also asks for musical preferences of that person if the facilitator knows them. And from that, we are able to generate now an algorithm which will utilize different kinds of music therapy, music therapy techniques like mood matching. For somebody with dementia who's agitated, you don't necessarily want to start them off with a nice kind of lullaby-ish sort of song. They're going to feel unheard. And that's a big problem with dementia too, is they just don't feel understood. So instead it's going to start off with a song, as Andy says, it's a little more rocking, right? And then- able the algorithm will utilize music therapy intelligence that we've built into the app to create an arc for the song that will bring them to a calmer state so the thing is is what we what we really wanted to do in this version because we have older versions where there's training involved in all of this stuff is take the guesswork out of it and really let the music therapy intelligence drive it as well as and, and sure you would know this Really better than anybody, but I think that most of us who come to caregiving, who aren't like Andy, who was trained in how to, in you become a caregiver, you have no idea what the right things are to do, especially with dementia. And so we give people sort of conversational prompts because one of your goals may just be, I would like a little time talking to my mom and feeling like I'm connected to her. And so the way that the app then feeds reminiscence questions and supportive comments is done in a way that comes from a place of of understanding and expertise in how to be a caregiver. One of the things that you haven't mentioned that is true, of course, is that Andy and I are brother and sister, right? And so we did have a mother who had dementia. And I always say, I would not have been half the caregiver I was if I didn't have Andy teaching me how to be a caregiver, because he had an educational process in that. And so I learned things from him around that. And we embed that in there in the app as well to help people who didn't have the benefit of a brother who went to school to be a music therapist. <laughs> right.
0: But but love. you've got virtual Andy embedded.
1: we have got into virtual Andy and, <laughs> and the rest of our team. You know, we've got virtual Andy visual- Virtual Andy, we've got virtual Andy, we've got virtual Jennifer, we've got, you know, virtual all kinds of music therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists on our staff who are really putting their brains into this new sort of machine learning generated version.
0: Well, and I think that's so important, right? Because, you know, we don't want people to think, well, this is just an app to sing along. I mean, there is so much sophistication that is built into this. And again, it's the the health science, if you will, of music therapy and, and what's behind that to make you a better caregiver, as you said, give you kind of more engagement with your loved one, which I really love. You know, Andy I, and, and Rachel, too, you guys have been doing a lot of research. You've done research all along, I know, with Harvard University, I think, and some others. But now you've, you've kind of gone over to the other side of the pond, if you will, and you're in England, you're doing a lot with UK researchers. I know that you've also got some things going on in Scotland, go Scotland. Um, So I would love for you to talk a little bit about some of the research that you're doing and and what you're looking at and, you know, how this is going to move things forward even more for people.
1: Sure. So I just want to clarify that Harvard came out with some incredible research around therapeutic music. A guy named Dr. Gottfried Schlag, if anyone's interested, he has since moved from Harvard. So there is research out of there. We didn't work directly with Harvard on that research just to. um, Full disclosure. Just to have journalistic integrity, of course, in everything we do, since that's my background as well, um, and clinical (laughs) integrity. That said we're really excited to be working in the UK on several levels and and what we're doing in Scotland in particular is in Scotland we're working with Glasgow Caledonian University and an incredible researcher there a researcher there named uh, Dr. Gianna Cassidy and she and a PhD student are working uh, her this woman's whole PhD is on singfit and how it works into the social and healthcare system of the NHS, of the national health system in Scotland, because in the UK and Europe in general, because of socialized healthcare, they are really seeing the link between the social aspects of how somebody is cared for. Is their refrigerator filled up? Are they engaged in the sort of activities that are going to keep them? as Dr. Janet Cassidy says, in their positive present. And so this particular PhD study is actually being done on COVID and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and how SingFit can work with that. But I think one of the things that would interest you is that the idea that when somebody is diagnosed with dementia or cognitive decline, in Scotland in particular, they do a process with them where they go and they find out how do they want to live So as soon as the diagnosis happens, they find out what are the activities they like. If it is singing, what's their favorite music? What kind of food do they like? Are they knitters? Are they fans of football? What's their favorite team? All of these things so that as their ability to remember and to make those choices on their own diminishes, that the people around them caring have that information to keep them engaged. And I do think that that's one of the things that we could we could benefit from copying and pasting over here in the US.
0: Well, we talk so much in healthcare system about, you know, patient-centered care and holistic care, but we still are really focused on sick care and medical care and not that that lifestyle and that quality of life and that social I just interviewed the um, Harvard researchers that have done the 85-year Harvard Adult Development Study, and they talk about social fitness being as important as other types of fitness. You know, Andy, one of the things, I'm such a nerd for neuroscience, so I really resonate with all of the work that you've done. One of the things that you mentioned is that, you know, you're helping with agitation, you're helping with calming, you know, folks down, particularly with dementia who might have a tendency to wander. But I'm really curious about how music, I mean, it's kind of going back to that ancient brain, right? I mean, this is embedded in us as hundreds of thousands of years ago, where drum beats and, you know, know, other types of things. I mean, music is so essential. And yet, I don't know how much people really get it embedded and engaged in their lives. So, you know, both as we get older, but I think also for family caregivers, it's really vital talk a little bit about how music really does give you that brain
2: health. Well, that's a big one.
0: <laughs> you could do a whole lecture all day, right, on
2: this. So there is, I, on about six points that you made. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, is first thing I just want to point out that when you talk about reducing agitation and calming somebody down, to me, what the pulses and the harmonies and and this global exercise this global engagement does neurologically is as opposed to calming it actually organizes right so if someone engages in that song it's actually organizing that person in a variety of ways and in a variety of levels right very literally in time sometimes right with gait and movements and and clapping and singing, right, very literally, or otherwise, cognitively, neurologically. And so this organization, one of the most beautiful things about the music, and and especially engaging in a singing process, is that the organization organizes them where they are. So I'm not making somebody who's agitated calm. It's not my goal. My goal is to get all these people Organizing that person with agitation so that their energy level might not come way down, but their level of organization will and therefore their agitation will. Their unmet needs are in essence, you know, being met or at least organized enough for them to start expressing and interacting in a way that they can get those needs met. Right. So all of that said is to support the idea that. Not only is beat and tempo historic, right, but it is innate in us. The first groove that we hear is our mother's heartbeat, right? So, so from from our inception. Am I using that word correctly, Rachel? From our inception. <laughs>
1: inception, maybe. <laughs>
2: that too. <what> yeah. <laughs> from our inception. No. It depends. Um, but from you know the very the point that we start existing we've got a groove right and we have a groove that is synchronizing and so there's all this these complex rhythms going on with us without us doing a thing just by being in the womb so this process is a very natural one for music to be so embedded in our psyches in our you know neurology in our in our existence On top of that, the other kind of the rant that I like to talk about is that music is a combination of frequencies. And if you break down the cell, it's a combination of frequencies. So the thing is, is we are music. It's the same. We're actually the same thing, just taking a little bit of different, you know, organic forms. So like the relationship is just, there's no difference to me. It's like, How do you just break the barrier between the individual and the music that's going to be that they're going to connect with? I don't know if that answered your question at all.
1: No, I love it. It was beautiful. I love it. (laughs) And, And I think, though, just for some of us who are who who are a little bit more layman in all of it. The other thing when you're talking about this is that and I don't think we've mentioned this, that when you sing all of the good neurochemicals get released as well and optimized. So your serotonin, your dopamine, your oxytocin, and that's the bonding chemical. All those feel good. All those feel good neurochemicals get released. So all of the things, so Andy's giving you the incredibly deep version of what is going on on a cellular level. And then on a neurochemical level, there is also all of the kind of Neurochemicals that we're trying to get to shift around because, as you know, a lot of the prescription for that people get for dementia are actually off diagnosis prescriptions, right? They're being prescribed anti anxiety medications, anti depress, you know, antidepressant medications that can have other side effects for them. But essentially what they're trying to do there is manipulate those same neurochemicals, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, dopamine that can be done naturally with no side effect using singing and that can also go in to helping with that just decreasing some of that, you know, elevating the mood
0: in yeah. order
1: to decrease some of that. Well,
0: energy. and I'm all for, let's not grab a pill or take a pill. Like, what's the alternative? Having a playlist that you can tap into? I would rather do that, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is the reason why I keep it high level like that, and and you're right to bring up the neurochemicals, but there's certain certain neurochemicals, there's lots of proof that singing and specific kinds of musical processes release and increase and regulate, right? But at the same time, there is still some mystery around the research. There is research, one of the the interesting and facts that's been researched for years now, is that singing actually increases your immunoglobulin A in the bloodstream. And so this is an indicator of immunity fortitude, like how strong your immune system is. So like, you know, singing is not a of like a cure-all, right? But it can really help if you're pointing it in the right way, even especially when you're talking about respiration and increasing immunity, when you're talking about this, you know, the whole COVID process, right? The whole right. COVID rehab process. And so people are like, oh, you can actually increase, blah, blah, blah. But that is one of the things, it sounds kind of foo-foo, that singing actually makes your immune system better. But that is one of the most researched neurochemical processes in music that we absolutely is 100% known.
0: So it has the potential to be protective, which I think is vital for people to know. You know, we've only got a couple minutes left here. I did want to ask you a quick question, because I know you've got an exciting announcement um, that's coming up around something called SingFit TV. So if you could tell us just quickly what that is going to look like and what that's going to be, that would that's very exciting.
1: This was something that came up during COVID because our process for our our long-term care communities is a group process that takes people on a journey through song and includes reminiscence and all of this sort of thing. And so during COVID, we started getting calls from our clients saying we can't do groups. Our state laws in particular saying we can't put people together in groups. People are in their rooms. We need something that they're going to be able to do on their own with very little staff supervision what do you got? <laughs> and um, sitting here in Los Angeles uh, but with a little bit of a background in media and television, both Andy and I, we decided, hey, let's let's make this a television show. And so it is essentially a, you know, 30 to depending on how many times you pause to talk about reminiscence questions about a 30 minute television show that I don't like to infantilize it and compare it to Sesame Street. But it is a little bit like Sesame Street in that Sesame Street was created so that parents had a tool to help get their kids ready to read and cooperate, that either they could watch with them and it'd be entertaining enough, or they could go do the dishes and take a break. And TV is the same thing in that it is written and created so that it can be done side by side with a caregiver, but also that caregiver can hit play and go take some of that respite or time away or fold the laundry or do whatever needs to get done, call the doctor to make an appointment and feel like they're the person who they're caring for is in good hands and engaged and is doing something that's good for them and not, not to diss the home shopping network or anything, but isn't, you know, sort of sitting there watching the home shopping network sort
2: of hour after hour. So, if If I may, and is, is written and the interaction is written specifically addressing People who have lived seventy-five to eighty years on the earth, so not in a childlike form, but in an engaging. Rachel writes great trivia, and we we put all this together so that it's like, you know, about Doris Day, and it, you know, what I mean. So it has it's very age appropriate and hopefully uh, very engaging for them.
1: One of the things that Andy talks a lot about with music therapy in general is you need to meet the person where they are, right? And an older adult with dementia is still an older adult. They're not a kid, right? right and that's right. the thing, you know, we don't want to infantilize it by comparing it to Sesame Street. So he's right, it's written for them, for the age that they came from. But at the same time, we did a lot of market research with AARP actually on this and the feedback we got was really great because folks, the caregivers were saying, I was so worried it wouldn't be written for them or that it would go too fast or that it would go over their head or under their head or whatever it was. And that it really hit that mark is something we're we're proud of.
0: Well, guys, we're almost out of time. I just want to say, it's always great talking to you and it's exciting to see the success that you guys are having so congratulations on everything and just tell me really quickly where can our family caregivers and our listeners
1: find more about singfit Singfit singfit.com is always a great place to start
0: wasn't that a fascinating interview with rachel and andy they're just so so great at what they do and so so many insights i think around the work that they're doing with music and dementia and older adults. They're on this trend by the way, called social prescribing. This is something that's very big in the UK. It's certainly being looked at here and it's where instead of just prescribing a drug therapy or a shot or whatever it is, we're looking maybe for other alternatives in these social areas that can help particularly our older population whether it's with loneliness or depression or other things that may be happening in their lives. And that's why I'm so thrilled to have my next guest on, who is Sadia Gajadar, who I I mentioned earlier is the chief happiness officer of comfort keepers. I'm really thrilled to have her. She's very, very busy and she made time for us today. And I've uh, worked for a few years with Sadia on different projects. And what she's going to tell us about today is in these lines of prescription, but it's a prescription for happiness, which I can't think of anything better And she's going to tell us a little bit about a survey that Comfort Keepers does every year and also their promotion of June 28th, which is the National Day of Joy. So with that, here is Sadia of Comfort Keepers. So I'm really thrilled to have my guest on today, who is Sadia Bajadar. We have worked together. She is from Comfort Keepers, and I have done some work for Comfort Keepers. And so I'm really thrilled to have her on today to tell us not just about the great work that Comfort Keepers is doing, but also a special event that Comfort Keepers has created in June that she's going to share more with us. And Sadia, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Thank you so much for
3: having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Sherry.
0: Well, I have to tell you, so when we were putting together the notes for this episode and I saw that you have a new job title called Chief Happiness
3: Officer and I went, that is the best job title I've ever heard. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. It just makes me so happy to be able to even say that, Chief Happiness Officer. I mean, having somebody around that's dedicated to joy, I mean, what could be better? Gonna say what a
0: great job! There can't be anything better. So you know, Sonia, you have been working with Comfort Keepers now for a few years, and I know Comfort Keepers is celebrating their twenty-fifth anniversary this year, which is fantastic. Tell us a little bit about what Comfort Keepers does before we dive into some of the news that you have. But I think some of the services that you deliver are so important, particularly for our listeners, because you know, as we know family caregivers often need help, but they just don't know where to turn. And Comfort Keepers is going to be a great source for them. So tell us a little bit more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, we um, have been delivering uplifting in-home care for seniors and other adults for 25 years. We're so proud of our 25 years of caring and our legacy. And the reason we say uplifting senior care, Sherry, is because to us providing care to seniors, it's it's about way more than just care. It's about positivity, optimism, and the positive impact that can have on somebody's life. We think it's it's kind of what makes us different. But th- because there's so many things about life that we are all the same, it doesn't matter how old we are. Everybody that's listening in or watching us, doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, we probably all want the same things, which is love, purpose, connection, hope, positivity, meaning. And that doesn't all of a sudden change when you become, let's say, 70 or 80, right? You don't all of a sudden say, you know what? I don't want that anymore. I just want to be kept safe and secure in my home, not break a hips, be independent. Of course, right? But we, as adult children, or let's say care providers, we think of those things for our senior loved ones and think, what can I do to keep them safe? I got to solve this problem. And then all of a sudden, that senior becomes a problem that needs to be solved instead of a person that experiences all those things. So it's just important for us to remember that that senior is this whole person with all these things that they can experience. And that is is our job at Comfort Keepers to deliver that. You know, we have a lot of services that we provide to do that. And that's everything from, you know, simple companionship, nutrition, medication reminders, personal care, mobility assistance. Really all those activities of daily living that that help the senior really stay in their own home.
0: Well, and you hit on so many important points, I think, Sadia, because, you know, as you said, we know that our older population wants to stay living in their homes as long as possible. And sometimes they need a little extra help. And as family caregivers, we may be a little overwhelmed with all these responsibilities. So kind of having this trusted, you know, service where you can call comfort keepers and they can come in and help out with things. The other thing I thought that you hit on, which is really important, is this whole thought of, we focus so much on the health of our older loved ones. We don't think about the things like the joy and the happiness and, you know, are they learning new things and all of that? And I think that's one of the wonderful things that you said, you know, Comfort Keeper certainly is really focused on that, that more holistic look at life. And we all want happiness. I I love this quote from John Glenn, when he went back into space for the second time, And the reporter said to him, you know, how does it feel to be, you know, I think he was 77 years old and going back into space. And he says, hey, old people have dreams, too. So I think it's a great reminder that, you know, we never stop kind of seeking, seeking some of those things. And maybe we just need a little bit of help to get there. So tell me about this National Day of Joy. I know you've been doing it for a few years. I know it happens. I think, is it always the third Wednesday of June? And I think it's June 28th this year. Is that
3: correct? It is the last Wednesday in June every single year. It is our fifth year of celebrating the National Day of Joy. And to us, we our brand promise is actually elevating the human spirit. And so for us, we we actually created this National Day five years ago in celebration of that. Because to us, elevating the human spirit, it's a big part of it is joy and delivering these daily doses of joy. And remembering that is so important. So we created sort of a national holiday. We registered it with the National Day Archives so that we wanted to remind every single person that it's so important to just take a moment to stop and experience joy or deliver that to others. You know, I wanted to say it is so important for us to deliver that for our caregivers too. They're such an important part of our National Day of Joy. And we couldn't do the things that we're doing if it weren't for those caregivers. I mean, we think it's just as important to deliver joy to them as it is to anybody. You know what? And the the part of the thing about that is that we were actually just certified as a great place to work, which I was so excited about. Yeah, because it just shows what we're doing for our caregivers and how, how they're so an important part of this whole concept of joy. 90% of them said that they felt that they um, actually make a difference and that their job brings that meaning. So, Anyway, for those people that think they have that caring, empathetic soul and like to deliver those daily doses of joy, I just wanted to say, you know, we're always looking for those people. So please go to comfortkeepers.jobs to learn more. And they are so much a part of our National Day of Joy. This year, our theme is Live the Joy. I love that. So when you talk about Live the Joy, it's really telling people that they need to embrace those little moments that will make a difference, that they can stop sort of, I guess, that whole smell the roses idea. Right. Right.
0: Well, and I think as we, you know, we kind of came through all the challenges of the pandemic and all that. I think people are ready to celebrate again, you know, and kind of find those those sparks of joy out there. One of the things that really struck me as I was looking through some of your materials and the things that you do, I think there were some photos that have been done from past years. And it is showing kind of those fun moments. There was something where there were a couple of older women, I think in the backseat of a convertible and they had feather boas on. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the activities that, that you've seen that happen around the National Day of Joy?
3: So we have locations across the country um, with comfort keepers and everybody is celebrating in some way. We want people to, whether you're in the community a caregiver, a friend, a family member, a client. Everybody needs to celebrate. All our offers doing it. And there's so many awesome lo- local happenings. So one of the things that I'm attending is a luau. So it's a senior luau at a senior center. And I just can't wait to go and see how people are dressed, the music, what they're going to do pineapple, all of that. It's just so fun to see people out there having fun, especially our seniors. We have some offices that are just taking ice cream trucks to senior centers. I can't wait to see people like wait in line. I'm going to get sprinkles on mine or whatever it is, all those fun things. And, you know, talking about that car thing, we have a few offices that are doing a classic car show. And yeah, they, I think they, yeah, they partnered with these classic car clubs, I guess, that are out there. And they are taking seniors on joy rides, like through Main Street, like these little mini parades. I think we have a few offices doing that. So everybody's I love just getting that. Yeah, yeah, they're just getting creative and doing fun things from carnivals and, you know, celebrating at wineries. Actually, I wouldn't mind going to that one and just doing anything they can to embrace the fun, kind of showcase it and uh, tell others to do things in bigger and small ways.
0: Well, and what's so great about that, like you just said, it really it kind of sparks that creativity, right? I mean, we really have to put our our efforts now into looking for something that's really fun and brings all of that joy rather than focusing on things that we're so concerned about, like our health. You know, it takes you out of that moment of feeling like things might not be right or perfect and gives you something to look forward to, which again, is so great with our older population because so many of us have things in life, whether it's school, things that we're doing, work, things that we're doing. So there's little moments we look forward to in some of those roles we play for older adults who may not be at work or, you know, have those kind of activities that are already structured. These kinds of things are so important. I know they really, really look forward to these these things. So you also, in conjunction, I know, with the National Day of Joy, you do a survey and I was reading some of the results and I want to have you share with the audience, what are the things that you felt were either surprising or interesting? I thought there were some things that were really great, but I'm going to toss it to you and and have you tell us what were the highlights.
3: Oh, yeah. So, you know, as part of the National Day of Joy, we do a survey with seniors. This year, we uh, surveyed about 2,000 seniors age 65 and older to find out what brings them joy. Some of the things were surprising, some of the things not not quite so much. So the top three things that bring seniors joy, family and friends, not so surprising. But the third one is good weather, which I kind of loved hearing that. You know, we definitely need more sunshine. I'm, I'm in Southern California right now, and it's we're in the middle of June gloom, and I would really appreciate a little more sunshine. So I get that. Maybe right. that's why Florida has such a high index of seniors. <laughs> that's true. And you think about seniors, they have such a wisdom, right? They've been out for so long. And it, so I guess it makes sense that about a quarter of them feel that the life advice that they give could go viral, which I think is fun that they're even thinking about the word viral and that their life yeah, advice. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like be true to yourself is is an example of one of their one of their pieces of advice. I think for me, almost one of the most poignant ones is that three quarters of them feel that it's never too late to find true love. Isn't that great? I love that one. Yeah. I I thought that was great. And they're using dating apps. I know 37% of them say that they're actually admitted to using a dating app. I'm like, you go. I thought that was great. Yeah. So that myth that older people don't use technology, I think that's done, right? That's debunked at this point. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. The majority of them are using social media they care about fashion. I thought that was interesting, but they are really they really like the idea of retro fashion and they would like to go back and see 70s fashion make a comeback. I mean, so would I, to be honest. I think that sounds right. awesome. The disco days, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're actually rockers. So three <laughs> of the bands that they really appreciate the most are the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and the Rolling Stones, which is one of my favorites. So I love to hear uh, that. One.
0: Well, th- this is very prescient then because we're, this podcast
3: is going to drop in June and I think June is national music month. So that's perfect. Oh, perfect. We'll have to promote that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other, the last thing is that I thought was really interesting is that the majority of them said that they would like to go back in time, but the reasons that they said they would go back in time, like to go, it were interesting. One of them is to relive great moments, which makes sense. One of them was to make better choices Mm, Which I yes. guess I could see the benefit of that. And the third one is to just spend more time with their loved ones. And that's just a reminder to us how important it is to do that, especially yeah. with our seniors who the research shows, as said, that family is the most important thing to them. So, just keeping seniors in our minds and remember that they might, to your point, have some limitations and not being able to experience things or celebrate the way that they normally would have, but to still let them do it in their way, involve them, whether virtually on, you know, calling them and just having them participate in their own ways is so important to, to keep that senior feeling good.
0: Well, then, you know, it's so, I think it's really important for the audience also to understand, I mean, for those of us who might live close to our older loved ones, we have it a little bit easier because we can visit very often, but we have a lot of families that live across the country from each other, or at least, you know, a few hours away. And, you know, the social aspect of health now is getting so much more attention. We realize that the quality relationships we have are going to help us live more happily and, and longer. And I think one of the things that people forget is that even if you live far away from your loved one, what can you do to help facilitate some of these relationships? And I think, again, that's kind of where Comfort Keepers comes in. Having someone that you know is going to come in and maybe help you make a meal or, you know, like you said, just be a companion is really going to help their overall health. And it doesn't have to be about, okay, mom, you're no longer able to do this. It's more about the companionship, right?
3: That's right. I mean, we do so much research that talks about this is why we focus on positivity, purpose, and joy. It's not just happiness is great, but it's because there's actually, I mean, you know, there's a physical aspect to it. Those that are more well socialized and experience more joy, there's a physical aspect where they're more likely to thrive physically, mentally, and experience overall well-being. There's actually a link between falls and depression so if you can think about that at the beginning i was talking about how you don't want somebody to fall and break a hip or or have these injuries but the better they're feeling the less likely they're going to be depressed the better they're going to thrive physically so there's this beautiful circle that starts with this whole concept of joy and what it can actually do to you so for me that's actually very personal because i'm i'm the adult daughter of aging parents you know my dad's 88 my mom is going to be 80 in september my family heritage is Indian and um, my mother, she okay. My mother, first of all, she's amazing, but she's had three knee replacements. If you can count that and really think about that, wow. And she actually needs another one. Right. So, but that's okay. She gets around, right? But you know, then obviously she experiences pain, but she always wants to make me my childhood favorite dish, which is shrimp curry. She wants to make it for me. She doesn't want me to do anything. She doesn't want me to help her. She doesn't want me to clean up. And for so many years, there was this battle. I'm like, Mom, I know that causes you pain. Let me help you. Don't do it. Let's go out. Let me cook. And she just would get upset. And I finally realized, partly through the work that we're doing here and this whole concept of joy and the National Day of Joy and helping seniors live their purpose, that that was the most important thing that I could do for her was to let her be a mother and let me be the daughter and let her do for me. And that was the thing that brings her joy, lets her live her purpose. And ever since I realized that, It's been beautiful. She does it. I sit down. She does it all. And that's what brings her joy. And it's just important to remember that we can do those things for our senior loved ones. And I love
0: that. I think that's a real gift. And we often, as you said, we overlook it because all of a sudden we think, oh, I've got to help my mom. And instead, the way you're helping her is by allowing her to, like you said, be that mom, do the things she's always loved to do for you. You and I are similar. I have a mom who's going to be 80 soon, too. I hope she's okay that I say that. But anyway... (laughs) I know she listens oh, yeah, to the podcast. My mom. <laughs> but, you know, we lost my stepdad a few years ago. So she's been one of these group that we call the solo agers and she's doing great. She's always been really engaged and has, you know, her friendships, but as you get older, you start to lose those friendships. And so again, I think having other sources of, of relationships that you have that you can count on and, you know, whether it's family or whether it's, you know, somebody that just comes into the home, you know, to kind of help you out here and there, I think it's really so wonderful. We've talked a lot about, you know, this whole social aspect of health, which is so important. Is there anything else, Sadia, that you feel you've seen in the work that you're doing and Comfort Keepers is doing that's really important for family caregivers out there listening to know about, you know, whether it's about your service or just overall with their older loved one, what they should be thinking about?
3: Well, like I mentioned, just include them. And I think that one of the things that we've found to be so important over time is focus on possibilities instead of limitations. So that means focusing on the things that your senior loved one can do. Versus the things that they can't do. Really understand the things that bring them joy. Whether those little tiny things. They don't have to be big things. And help deliver it to them. And to you know whether. And those things can be doing things. To the ability of the senior. So some of the things we tell our caregivers. For example somebody likes to garden. So they can't get, get out in their garden. They can't get on their knees. But what can they do? You know they can garden in a pot. They can grow herbs. And you can help them with some of those things. That's just one little example. But it's a matter of figuring out how to deliver that joy that that senior can do in a way that is reminding them of, I guess, of the positive aspects of their life instead of the things that they can't do.
0: Yeah, and that's so important. You know, I just finished my second book, which is about wellness. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is the whole wellness philosophy is to focus on strengths rather than the things that you you can't do, you know, the things that you're missing out on or trying to be too perfect or whatever. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's that kind of positivity. You know, what are the things that we are still capable of that make us happy? You know, we might have to adapt a little bit or whatever, but I think that's a really important message. And it's an important message for us to remember, again, as family caregivers, because I think we have this perception in our head that as our our parents or grandparents get older, they're just not going to be able to do certain things. But you're saying, no, listen, there's a workaround here. There's a plan B or there's something else you can look at, right? Yep. That's great. Well, listen, Sadie, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I always enjoy hearing all the things that are going on with Comfort Keepers. You guys do such wonderful work. Is there any last thoughts or comments that you have for the
3: audience? Just if you want to learn more about the National Day of Joy and sort of take a look at the survey and the stats and learn more about Comfort Keepers and how we can help, just go to comfortkeepers.com and just try to celebrate on the National Day of Joy or any day. And if you do something on the National Day of Joy, please post about it on social media using hashtag National Day of Joy. We'd love to see it.
0: Oh, I love that. Yes, let's all have, let's all join in on that National Day of Joy on June 28th. So that's wonderful. Make your post to Instagram or Facebook or wherever you are. Well, Sadia, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, you too. Thanks for having me, Sherry. Wasn't that a great interview with Sadia? You know, so uplifting. I think so wonderful to hear about how we continue our happiness and our dreams well into later life. So it was a really pleasure to have her on the episode today. With that, I'm going to dive into some well home design news. As I mentioned earlier, June is also National Employee Self-Care Month. And as I was writing my book, I have a whole section about the new social contracts at work, how employers and employees are kind of coming together around things like mental health, caregiving in the workplace, you know, some of these other issues. And I wanted to just share a few things with you that are going to be in the book So, you know, we know that, again, nature, 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 can't say it enough. You're going to if you read the book Me Time Monday, you're going to find that this whole brain health plus nature is kind of our formula for better happiness and more joy in life. And one of the things I found is that there was a study that was done in the workplace that they had different scenarios. So they had a view onto some trees looking outside. Then there was one where there was no view, but you also, you had some plants inside your own cubicle or your office. And then they had something where you didn't have a view and you didn't have plants. And so obviously The ones with plants and views did better. But what was really interesting is I would have maybe thought that the view, right, looking outside a window, which I'm always encouraging people to do during the day, every 20 minutes, we should be getting a nature view to kind of power up our brains. But it was actually the plant life. It was the plants inside the office cubicles that made people feel more comforted, a little bit more calm, um, a little bit happier. So one of the prescriptions that I have for you is whether it's a home office or you're going back to the office now, take some plant life with you. Have that greenery where you can just kind of take a moment, take a pause, look at the greenery, kind of feel like you're in a little bit of a nature environment. One of the things they say in our home environments, we should have at least five plants that have a lot of greenery to them. And that the plants that do best with air care, by the way, that help oxygenate the air in our environments are things like English ivy, bamboo, palm, spider plants. Those are all really, really great lots of details in the book about, you know, the different chemicals and toxins that it absorbs from our living environments, but it's good for us as well as our older loved ones. So I thought I'd give you that tip. The other things too are curves, you know, not sharp, you know, pointy things. So whether it's a curved table, whether it's, you know, something curves, whether it's pathway, not the cubicle, you know, grid-like format in an office environment, but curved pathways actually make our brains feel a little bit more calm. And so those are things to think about. And again, there's a lot more information and details in the book on that. And then lighting, you know, we know that obviously that kind of more blue light will wake us up, make us maybe feel a little bit more energetic. In the afternoons, we're starting to kind of power down. We're getting more of those orangey pink hues like the sunsets in the dusk and afternoon. So, you know, you want to think a little bit about your lighting. Make sure you've got good task lighting. Also, you know, blue light emissions could hurt your eyes staring at a screen all day. You want to have some good blue light glasses that you're wearing. And think about, again, just getting away from the screen every few minutes, taking a little walk, looking onto those greens that you have or going outside or whatever it is. And then finally, because we're talking about music in this episode, I wanted to share with you just one other piece of, of science and research that's been done. And it was around how music can enhance our productivity, particularly at work. So there was some research that was recently done at the University of Miami And, you know, they said that music can reduce stress, maintain our focus, help improve our moods. And all of this leads to being more productive at work. So, you know, whether you can just pop your earbuds in and listen to some tunes for a few minutes or whether it's during lunchtime, you just want to get away from everything else that's going on, listen to some music, that always gives us a little bit of that boost of serotonin, which is our feel-good hormone for our moods. So those are my little prescriptions and tips for you in the caregiver well home design news and with that we're going to go to our me time monday wellness hack which is all about some of these tips on brain health and how music can really enhance our brain health welcome to our me time monday wellness hack on how making music is a full brain workout A lot of the information I'll share with you comes from my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, The Weekly Wellness Plan to Find Balance and Joy in a Busy Life. While music helps us recall memories, change the way we think, and influence the way we behave, it is also a full brain workout. Researchers have found there is a brain music connection where studies show listening to music can reduce anxiety, blood pressure, and pain, as well as improve sleep quality, mood, mental alertness, and memory. But when we make music, that's either by singing along or playing an instrument, we are not only tapping into certain parts of our brain for memories or behavior, we are practicing good brain health because music making uses all the regions of the brain simultaneously, especially the visual, auditory, and motor cortexes. When Johns Hopkins medical researchers asked jazz and hip hop artists to play music while getting a functional MRI, the musicians brains lit up like fireworks going off more than any other brain exercise. Music making is the ultimate cross trainer to build better brain function and health because musical notes are about the relationships of one note to the next, the rhythm and the tempo your brain is doing a lot of complex computing. One study found musicians have a 64% less risk of developing Alzheimer's than non-musicians. Also, singing or playing in the musical instrument through life is neuroprotective, but even if you start your musical journey later in life, benefits will last a lifetime. Music is the body's natural pain reliever. While music can be like a history tour, such as remembering what you uh, tune you loved in high school or the song that was played at your wedding or some other milestone life event, It can also distract you from pain and fatigue. It can elevate your mood, increase your endurance and may even promote metabolic efficiency, which is how well the body uses fat as an energy source. This is according to research that was published in Scientific American. So music diverts our attention away from bodily awareness. So those are the aches and pains of working out or even illness. And it releases endorphins in the brain. Endorphins give us heightened feeling of excitement or euphoria. Music can also help us when we are feeling blue or having a bad day. While it may sound counterproductive, scientists say that listening to sad music can lift your spirits. Whether it's a blues song, a sad country tune, or maybe sadcore, which is a subgenre of alternative rock, ancient Greek Aristotle felt that listening to sad music helps get us past our feeling of despondency or depression and is actually cathartic. When it comes to waking up, what is the best music for mornings? So most people tend to listen to music in the afternoons and evenings between four and 8 p.m. But researchers say mornings are made for music to set the tone for the day. If you wanna feel confident and on top of the world in the morning, music with a heavy bass sound are best. So those are the low or deep frequencies, such as a bass guitar, a saxophone, or anything with low frequency tones and a beat. Great examples are Another One Bites the Dust by Queen or Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Putting people in the right mood to be productive and active is not new. The famous department store CEO, John Wanamaker, for example, installed an organ in his department store in 1909 to energize his employees in the morning. A radio program called Music While You Work was developed in the early 1940s to play music for factory workers. You want to use a playlist of songs in the morning that are familiar to you. And tunes that don't have a lot of complicated lyrics, but rather repeat maybe an easy chorus. So why is the reason for this? Well, our brains are used to concentrating on words. So if the words are familiar, they promote energy. If it is a song or that has complicated lyrics or it's new to you, then your brain is concentrating on the song rather than energizing your wake up neurons that promote positive work activity. Now, what are the best music genres for afternoons and evenings? Scientists have discovered that jazz music makes any meal taste fantastic. So uh, we did an interview with Charles Spence who is an experimental psychologist at Oxford University and also a gastrophysicist and he found that taste is affected by sound. He calls this hedonistic transfer effect or musical menus and sonic seasoning. Now scientists like Spence are researching what are called musical menus to help with healthier eating based on music played during certain meals and food choices. Restaurants have long used background music to engage diners in eating and drinking more for decades, but now the food industry is taking this music plus eating connection seriously. British Airways worked with food scientists like Spence to create the soundbite menu, music, and food pairings because food loses 30% of its taste appeal on planes. After the experiment, they found that frequent flyers actually enhance the taste of the airplane food by 38%. In Italy, there is an app to scan a wine label, and it'll give you the perfect music track to listen to while drinking the wine that that has shown you will enjoy the wine more. In the same way, nutritionists are turning to sonic seasoning to create healthier eating habits through music. Try eating healthy foods and playing jazz music while you eat, or when you crave something bad, play the jazz music and see if you are driven to healthier food. One recent development in music health research is called the Mozart effect and refers to a popular scientific theory that listening to Mozart's compositions and other classical music will increase spatial intelligence. While controversial, one thing scientists do agree on is that classical music can be used as a sleep aid. So it may not improve our brain performance, but it definitely can help us get to sleep. For some, attending an opera or listening to orchestras can lull you to sleep while you're awake. But research suggests classical music allows people to travel through all the stages of rapid eye movement, which is the REM sleep needed for better health, and awaken refreshed and recharged for the next day's adventures. In one study, those who listened to classical music around 45 minutes before bedtime had better sleep quality. And even more interesting was that this began on the first night in one study. Moreover, in another study, women with insomnia went to sleep more quickly after listening to their favorite classical music continuously for 10 nights. Choose music with a beats per minute of 60 to 80. And the reason for this is that it corresponds with the body's resting heart rate. My favorite musical sleep aids are Beethoven's String Quartet 14 and Piano Concerto No. 5, Opus 73, also known as Gabriel Faure's Pavane. Music therapy is one of the most powerful tools we have for our own health and those of our older loved ones. Mostly it can instantly create a release of dopamine which triggers the brain reward center to make us feel pleasure. Music, as Dick Clark once said, is the soundtrack of your life. One thing we know is that music memory is the last region of the brain to atrophy in Alzheimer's patients, making music therapy essential in keeping those with dementia engaged. And for family caregivers who struggle to communicate with dementia, loved ones in later stages of the disease, the music brain connection is a powerful tool. I hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caring Club on air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack, and you can check out all the great wellness articles from my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, the weekly plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. And it's coming out this August, which is National Wellness Month. You can find more information at caregivingclub.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club On Air. Please hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. Just hit the podcast tab and email us with any comments or questions at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well.